The drive-through is GTM's monthly news episode and is sponsored in part by organizations like hpdejunkie.com, Hooked on Driving, AmericanMuscle.com, CollectorCarGuide.net, Project Motoring, Garage Style Magazine, and many others. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor of the drive-through, look no further than www.gtmotorsports.org. Click About and then Advertising. Thank you again to everyone that supports Grand Touring Motorsports, our podcast, Break Fix, and all the other services we provide. Woo! Here we go. This is going to be special. But before we get into all that, welcome to the drive through episode number 34. This is our monthly recap where we put together a menu of automotive, motorsport, and random car adjacent news. Now, let's pull up to the window for some automotive news. We have to retract one of our statements. We thought we were going to have a special guest host. Instead, we have a special episode of The Drive-Thru for you, where we focus on finding things that were lost. We found Tanya this month. She's here with us. Woo! Not only did we find her, we found two of her. Double trouble. Isn't there a song something, Double Trouble? Which Tanya do I address? Well, there's Double Vision. I'm seeing Double Vision. I'm definitely seeing that right now. Yeah, I think Double Vision isn't that, that's a foreigner song, right? Isn't yeah, I think song, so. Double Vision. Yep. And you can only see that on Patreon. <laughs> well, you know what else, Brad? This episode has a new sponsor. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. This episode brought to you by Gray Chevrolet. Where you can pick up a 1988 Cadillac DeVille base model for 17988 Get yourself down to Gray Chevrolet and tell them you heard it here on Break Fix. <laughs> We've never started a drive through episode with Lost and Found before, so this is kind of fun. And what set it into motion is not Tanya saying that she was going to be here, but she came to the table with this really interesting article about all things the Titanic. How is this car, Jason? <laughs> was there a car on the Titanic? Don't think so. <laughs> there were piano players on the Titanic. We may find out after this 3D scan that there were cars on the Titanic. But what's brilliant about this is they have this new technology that is really, really super accurate. And they can 3D scan the floor of the ocean and all this fun stuff. And yet... All the pictures from space look like they were taken on a one megapixel camera from 30 years ago. We still continue to find cars in barns month after month after month. But hey, we can map the ocean floor in high res three dimensions, right? It is car, Jason, Tanya, and here's why. It actually ties into, spoiler alert, a future episode where we sit down with author Larry Jorgensen and we talk about a book he wrote called Shipwrecked and Rescued, which is all about shipwrecks where it was carrying cars and Michigan and all this kind of stuff. Don Weber from Garage Style and I sat down and interviewed him. And that was actually quite delightful conversation. And it's been pre-released several times through other affiliates, but it's going to be coming out here very, very soon. So you can tune into that. But I thought it was kind of funny that if we can map the ocean, it'd be kind of neat to map Lake Michigan and some of the other things that Larry talked about on that episode and see how many 1920s Chryslers are still sitting at the bottom of the lake. Or, you know, maybe they'll find Jimmy Hoffa. I'm not sure which. <laughs> Along with all things lost and found, we're going to talk a little bit about history. It's a little bit of what should I buy as well. So right at the top of that list, we're going to hit you hard with the cheapest 300 horsepower cars you can buy. You know, I've been looking through this list, and the sad part is all of them 
except for the Camaro 1LT, they're all over $30,000. Yeah, that's the new base price these days. If you're not paying $35 for a car, which is something I swore I'd never do, you're not getting anything. Where's the Golf R on this list? That's because it's $45. Is it? Dude, it's so expensive. And isn't it 400 horsepower now? More than 300, I guess. The GR Corolla is on here. Yeah, it is. For a meager price of $36,995. The four-cylinder turbo Mustang's a good deal on here at entry price of $29,100. And having had experience with one, I mean, we know that they do perform really well. I think it has better weight distribution than the V8. Granted, people argue it doesn't have the power to get out of its own way. But John's, he put that Ford performance package on there with the chip from the factory. And he was making like 378 at the wheels. I mean, that's pretty substantial for a four-banger. Exactly. That's really good. I enjoyed driving that. I mean, I've driven the Coyote powered Mustangs as well. I've been in plenty of Shelby 350s, the track, but you know, the four banger for 30 grand, if you want a two door coupe with a manual transmission and rear wheel drive, it's sort of hard to beat. We'll go around the horn real quick. Which car on this list would you have? You only get one. Do I get two? You get two. There are two of you here. That's true. Eric, go. Uh, man, I'd have to go with the Kia Stinger. Really? <laughs> That is such a surprise. After you just wax poetic about Mustang 4 cylinder turbo, the SVO. Mustang's the obvious choice. The Stinger, because it's the precursor to the N74 Vision, which we can't <laughs> have yet and is going to cost $200,000. I'll go with the Stinger. Yes, because they look exactly the same. Same car underneath. Tanya won. <laughs> GR Corolla. Bizarro Tanya. The Mustang. I would go with the GR Corolla. Moving on to the hottest family cars that are genuinely fun to drive in 2023. What the F is this Aston Martin DBX 707? Whose family car is this for (laughs) $235,000? This list is a hot mess. This is rich people family cars. Yeah, I I feel like this is in the wrong section. This should be in rich people doing rich people things. The first car is 235. The next car is 123. Then we got the bargain basement Taycan at 99. Oh, then you got the Jeep Gladiator, which is a terrible, terrible family car. (laughs) What was this moron smoking? Did the person who wrote this ever actually drive a Jeep? Nope. Because they ride like a medieval ox cart. Ask me how I know. The other things on this list, just, I don't get it. A Hyundai Kona? The Hyundai Kona. There's the WRX. Civic Type R, which is, yes, because the Civic is as big as an Accord, but not the Type R. That's not a family car. I don't know. The Camry has 300 horsepower, so it's the same. This list is stupid. So here's the problem with the word family car. Unfortunately, there's stereotypes around that. So you start thinking, quote unquote, mom mobile. And I know it's not okay to say that. No, anymore. I'm thinking you have children that you're carrying this with your spouse or exactly. whoever. And it's like, you're not going to go around unless you're a rich person. $200,000 Panamera Turbo SE Hybrid Sport Turismo. I mean, what the hell what kind of family car is that? But if you're dad and you only have to haul the kids around every once in a while, it's okay. I don't know about you being a dad, Eric, but I can't afford a $235,000 car. Can you afford a $235,000 car? No, no. This is why I'm a cartoon avatar this month. I can't even afford the Zoom payment. You know? <laughs> Mercedes AMG E63 S wagon, 600 horsepower V8, all wheel drive, $122,000. Really? This list just doesn't make any. There's no continuity. The Hellcat the list. is not a family car. <laughs> there's no cohesiveness between the list. The WRX. No. 
and the Civic, even like the Civic Si, I think would have been a better option for a family car. What is a typical family car these days? None of these. They're all SUVs. Exactly. There's not a single SUV on this list. <laughs> well, that's not true. Not true. Well, there's the Alpha. There's the Alpha. There's that's the Aston it. Martin. Is that thing an SUV? Yeah. And then there's the I-Pace something or other. Isn't that an SUV? That looked very squat. If they had changed this list to Petrolhead Father's Day special or something. When you win the lottery, this can be your family car. Yes, but this is like what you buy the dad who's a petrol head that sold his sports car, you know, that kind of thing. Like if you put it in that context, then it all sort of makes sense. But to say these are hot family cars. Yeah, this is trash. Now I will say we have to give a special hall pass to the Audi. RS6 Avant. The wagon of all wagons. Well, there's also an AMG E63S wagon. Yeah, 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 but it's not as cool. It's not as cool as the Audi because the Audi has these flares. It has these hips. If you've ever seen one in person, it is the coolest station wagon in a long time. For me, as a Long Roof Society member myself, I really like this car. Now, $123,000 is a bit much, but it is probably worth every penny of it. That's all I'm saying. Maybe it should just say family car alternatives. We're just subjectively nitpicking. We don't like Brian Silvestro, I think, is the thing. Well, we're going to see a trend as we go through this drive-through this month. I noticed that a lot of the articles were coming from the drive, and I'm starting to wonder if they're turning into Jalopnik. I'm not sure I can trust what I've been reading. We'll get into that as we go along. Also talking about what were they smoking? (laughs) The new segment, what were they smoking? Best affordable sports cars of 2023 from money.com and this was all broken down in different segments like you can best family car best this car best economy car so i honed in on best sports car because i was really curious here's how they broke it down best overall value and best overall went to the toyota gr86 best for safety the burrs which is the gr86 so the gr86 took first and fourth place apparently the nissan z best for features The Chevy Camaro, best for technology, which I'm a little puzzled about. And then finally, who won best handling? (laughs) The USS Dodge Challenger. Good night. (laughs) I love how there's only one kind of sports car-ish category. No, I like that under the Dodge Challenger, it says few standard safety features. (laughs) Wow. It's got a seatbelt. I didn't know what to think about this. We've gone from like one extreme to the other, right? We went from 300 horsepower cars. Okay, great. To the family car. Okay, whatever. And now this. How does it handle better than like a 86 or a BRZ? There's no way. Maybe if I'm pushing Matchbox around my table, it handles better. Like who tested these cars? All three of these articles almost infuriate me as much as the yearly consumer reports thing where it's so all over the map where they'll ditch one car like the brz and say how terrible it is and then they'll commend toyota for how great the gr86 is and i'm like do you people not realize it's literally the same car with different badges on it it's notorious for stuff like that and i just wonder who writes this stuff so the person that writes this stuff her name is jacqueline tropp She joined Money in April 2023, so she's new, and every single one of her articles is best. 
the best subcompact SUVs of 2023, the best electric SUVs of 2023, the best plug-in hybrid SUVs of 2023, the best hybrid SUVs of 2023, best three-row SUVs, best minivans, best large SUVs. That's very specific categories. Every single one of her articles for this, that's her thing. That's okay, because we're going to go over to Motor Trend, where they know a thing or two about cars. They know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. Yeah, You think? Mm-hmm. And I love the title of this. Hell will freeze over before these cars become collectibles. I mean, they're not wrong. I have a problem with the first car. The Chevy Lumina, was that the first one? What is there not to like about the Cadillac Catera, also known as an Opal? No, 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 no. That's that's just the cover photo. The, oh, no, the, it was the, the first car. The Jaguar S-Type R. You mean the Ford Mondeo S-Type R. Exactly. What's wrong with the Mondeo again? Yeah, absolutely nothing. And maybe that's just it because it's built on a commodity platform that it will never be desirable. It doesn't really have any sort of specialness or rarity to it. I look at it and go, that's awesome. It means there's a ton of parts and maybe ability to modify it, do other things with it, make it bespoke in a certain way. And honestly, this Jag, it's pretty handsome. Yeah, I, I think it was a nice looking saloon. To tell you a car that was god awful ugly is the Mercury Cougar on this list. Yeah, that Cadillac wasn't very nice either. No, I refuse to even acknowledge it. I'm moving right to the Mercury. And I remembered that little baby shoe of the Aston Signet was created. And then I immediately like deleted it from my brain because I was like, why did Aston make a smart car? Like, I just don't. That that will never be collectible ever. The only one on here that I could see being collectible, but it would be a niche collector's market is the Subaru. The Baja? I could see that there'd be like some cult followers that would like have 10 of them or something. Those are the same people that buy the Pontiac Aztec. Exactly. But if you're going to go down that route, I saw one even the other day, you get an old Subaru Brat and there was an older gentleman driving one around that was completely restored. And I was like, look at that. There's a Subaru from the 80s. There's a Survivor. And that's cool. The new Baja, which tries to be the brat, you look at it and you go, that's a messed up looking legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all it is. But I will say there's one car on here. Oh, yeah, bah, 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 bah. We're going to get to that. Come on. Now. Am I, am I going to take your thunder? I'll, I'll, I'll let you do it. No, no, no. I don't want to offend any of our fans which one it is? out there. Oh, yes. Yes, please do. Oh, oh, yeah. Now I know. Okay, never mind. Before we get to that, though, there are some other ones on here that I think are arguably interesting. Like the 318 Ti, I think is a collector car. People do a lot of swaps with those. The E36 base car. So what makes it a collector car? Making it a different car. That, that makes it a collector car. You take a car, you turn it into something else, and now it's a collector car. Yeah, that's not collector car. You know, I know a lot of people, they like gut these and they take them to the track. That's not a collector car. No, it's a donor car. That's a rolling chassis is what that is. <laughs> You're right. It's a collection though. I feel the Ford Contour Contour SVT actually. I used to lust after those when I yeah. was back in high school. I thought they were pretty snazzy. And then the Ford Probe GT too. No, that was so lame. No, I drove a 24 valve Probe in Europe and it was awesome. I actually okay. really enjoyed that car. So which was the one we got? The one I drove was a US spec car. It was brought over. Oh, there. okay. Yeah. No, it was great. It's a Mazda 626. It's got all the Mazda things you expect. It handles pretty well. It's got good power. They designed it sort of to compete with the Corrado, but the Corrado will clean its clock Boy, because it weighs man. so much less. Oh, God. I mean, this thing is so lame looking. No, it's cool. The probe is cool. The 318 Ti is not. (laughs) 
<laughs> it backed into a wall at like 100 miles an hour. I did like the Mercedes Benz 320 compressor coupe, though. Well, how can you like that and not like the 318 Ti? I think the compressor looks weird because I'm not a BMW guy, I'm not a Beamer guy. Um, it's terrible. But there's one car we have not mentioned on this list, and that's for a very specific reason. Are we going to go there? Are we going to avoid? Are we just going to skip it all together? Should we just skip it? No, I think our fans would be sad if we did. They would, they be, would remiss. be remiss if we did not mention this. It is not a Tesla. It's a car nope. you searched for many times on cars.com and bring a trailer and other places. It's a car we've talked about several times. Yeah, Craigslist is where you should be looking for it. Craigslist. Facebook Marketplace. Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> I was trying to think, what's a step below Craigslist? A Facebook Marketplace, yes. You'll find it in the garbage bin on Facebook Marketplace. It is the Chevrolet HHRSS turbocharged. <laughs> you know what's awesome about that? Nothing. This car is trash. But they handle so well and they're very fast, I've heard. You can get 500 horsepower out of them. I mean, which is true. You can get a lot of power out of them, but still, you're still driving a piece of shit. Tanya 1 and Tanya 2. Think about it this way, though. This is why the HHR is awesome. It made this list of terrible, uncollectible cars. And you know what's missing from this list and can now say it's second place to this is the PT Cruiser. And the Dodge Dart. And the Aztec. Like all these cars we know are terrible didn't make it on this list. Maybe it's because whoever put this list together didn't realize that those cars were still on the road. Because I think those other cars are collectible and that's just it, right? See, the PT Cruiser did it first and that's why it's collectible. (laughs) No, not at all. No, nobody tried to outdo the Aztec at whatever the Aztec was trying to do. You know what is super collectible? And I hope that maybe one day I'll get $55 for mine, you know, which is $5 <laughs> more than I ever bid on a car. I will give you $56 for yours right now. Oh, will you? All right. Car of the week. According to Rob Report, ultra rare 1971 Porsche 914.6 was expected to fetch a cool 550 thousand dollars at auction i have a model car of this exact vehicle on my desk again 55 bucks is where i'm at <laughs> but it's just a stock it is a 914.6 there's nothing is there something else special about it yes the objective of complying with scca rules regarding production porsche made approximately 400 of the m471 oh. conversion kit blah 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 without getting into all the very technical porsche stuff about this i missed that part okay it's some homologation i see i see competition option group package that they made for the 914.6 so the price goes up with every single one of those words that you just said the price goes up and what's deceiving about this is you realize it's basically the very, very first 914.6 GT. It has the big flares. It accommodates the bigger wheels from the 911. And so when you first look at it, you're not really paying attention to it. You're like, oh, it's a blue 914, big deal. It's that very, very early 914.6 GT. And those cars, you know, obviously went on to win many races, Nürburgring, things like that later on in life. Kind of cool. This is akin to the 924 DP that Al Holbert and his team were building for SCCA as well. Like they had these option groups for the Porsche cars to be able to compete probably in classes by themselves. This is along those lines for the 914, but still half a million bucks for flares. That's a lot. Yeah, okay, that's fun. Too rich for my blood. 
other things historical and fun. And rich people doing rich people things. And it ties into Formula One as well. Sebastian Vettel getting back behind the wheel of a Formula One car at Goodwood. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who's he going to be driving for, Haas? <laughs> no, he's driving for Team Vettel. His own collection of F1 cars. Oh. Uh, this is really, really, really cool. And an autocross? Like, where's he going to be? At Goodwood. Goodwood. Ah, what? Festival of Sp- Speed. Oh, that's actually but kind of the awesome. big thing that he's pushing. So apparently he's got like an ex Nigel Mansell yep. formula car. He's got a McLaren MP4 that Senna drove. I don't know which of the ones he's going to drive, or maybe he's driving several of them. But the thing about it, I guess it's cooler or more important is he's now on this sustainability kick. And he was starting to go down that path while he was still driving in Formula One, recognizing the impact of fossil fuels and blah, blah, blah. He is going to run them on e-fuels. Ooh. So that's pretty neat. Is he going to get a haircut? That'd be nope. nice, but you know. Vettel retire from F1 and he is looking homeless. He had that hair in F1, so <laughs> I think that's COVID hair, they call it. <laughs> COVID hair. <laughs> I mean, if you're buying old Formula One cars, you run out of money quick, I think. I had heard that he had bought Nigel's car. I didn't know about Senna. I think he also has like one of Mark Webber's cars or something like that. And there's a bunch of other cars in his stable because he is a car collector. But I think that's kind of cool. And it's not the first time he's been to Goodwood. So something to look out for. Well, we might have a field trip in our future. Did you guys hear that Chip Ganassi tests race cars in our backyard? Uh... Yep. I heard just now. Well, in southwestern Pennsylvania, out towards the kind folks of the Pittsburgh area, there is a 4,500-foot-long tunnel that runs underneath Laurel Ridge. It has had many uses over the years. It was originally for railroads and some other stuff, and they were going to use it for diverting traffic, things like that. It didn't really work out. And eventually, it was abandoned, and it found its new purpose in 2004 as a race car test center for the Chip Ganassi racing team. Lord knows what they're doing in the Batcave, but I want to go check it out. They're not building Ford GTs. But can you imagine what it must sound like with your own personal tunnel doing dyno poles and top speed runs and other things like that? I mean, that's got to be pretty awesome. Yes, it would be very awesome. I love this one little quote from the article. Tunnels railroad routes make it well suited for testing cars at speeds up to and perhaps over. 100 miles an hour. Wow. 100 miles an hour. Obviously, you don't know how fast race cars are. (laughs) And if you do venture out to the Laurel Hill Tunnel, you can also enjoy yourself on the Laurel Hill Hiking Trail. Can't actually go into it. At best, you can like see it from the outside. You could call and find out if they're doing tours and things. I think this would be fun. Based on the way the article is written, no, they're not. Want to get a tour of this facility. But it is part of Atlas Obscura's collection of unique things in the United States and other parts of the world. So if you haven't checked out their website before, you ever seen those books like Weird Maryland and Weird Portland? Mm -hmm. Oh wait, no, that's just the Portland Yellow Pages. You know, all those books... (laughs) That highlight all the strange things in your state. So this is right along the up there with it uh, over on atlasobscuro.com. Oh, and I moved to a new state. So all kinds of fun stuff for me to find down here. Down under? Down under. Crikey. I see that the value of Dodge darts have gone up. (laughs) Yeah, I don't actually think so. Dude, I love this meme. This meme is hilarious. In 2017, you could get a Dodge Challenger SRT Hellcat for $65,000. 
In 2022, you could get a Dodge Challenger RT No Hellcat for $65,000. In 2030, you can get a brand new 2014 Dodge Dart RT for $65,000. With the prices, the way they're going these days, that is not far off. It's called inflation. It's called insanity over on Bring a Trailer, right? There is something off the charts. So I've been scouring Bring a Trailer, and I found something very peculiar. It is a 2006 Chevrolet Tahoe Z71 4x4 with 16,000 miles, how much would you think this truck sold for? I'm going to go with our obvious guess here, $65,000. Close. What? This truck sold for $40,000. What? Some moron, and yes, I'm calling you a moron, paid $40,000 for this <laughs> stupid thing. Oh, my God. Forty grand. I hate to say you could pick up a couple-year-old pickup maybe a base model f-150 or a for 40 grand you can pick up like a 2017 tahoe right you don't need to buy a 2006 which has basically the same motor they're both 5.3 liters i'm telling you you'll want the newer motor now that square bodies are so expensive they have to move on to the round bodies that's why that 2006 is desirable it is not desirable whoever bought this is you dumb speaking of things mountain man dan would be interested in (laughs) he texted us on discord the other day and he said he was considering of all things a station wagon can you believe this guy so he said at one point he considered it i don't know why he would buy something so new they didn't make a ctsv wagon in 1985 they did it was the family truckster (laughs) (laughs) buick roadmasters (laughs) i didn't realize there was a a square body ctsv wagon put a 454 in that buick roadmaster you're all right that's the ctsv (laughs) there you go yeah and it's a square body you see why was that not on the family haulers list so dan tells us that he's considered a ctsv wagon before and he sends us a link to a new one and you know what the price was on that Our magic number of $65,000 because it's a car that was 40 when it was new and it's 65 today. So here we go again. I should just do a search on bring a trailer for anything $65,000. That's the new price point right there, man. That's craziness. I scoured the internet and I found something you will find interesting. Oh, you can get either a brand new 2000, that's 2000 Volkswagen Jetta. GLS TDI or a 2000 Volkswagen Jetta GLS VR6, both of them brand new, according to the site at Alexandria Volkswagen, just up the road from me, just down the road from you at MSRP $23,000. Oh man, the price of my car just went up through the roof. My God. So if anybody wants a brand new Mark IV Volkswagen, either the gasser or the diesel, you can get one. Brand new, my left foot. 6,500 becomes 65,000 really quick. Add a zero. Located in the scenic suburbs of Joseph City, Arizona, destined to fetch a high value here. I present you with the 2001 Acura Flyber truck. You know what? I think this is a steal. The cost of wood prices. I mean, shit, you buy this for the wood. 
Brad, how much Dogecoin would you give for this? I am still selling my Cybertruck reservation. If anybody wants to buy my Cybertruck reservation for $3,000, I will turn around and buy the Acura Plybertruck. You should because you're guaranteed delivery on this Plybertruck. I wonder what the uh, insurance is on this. Do you have to take out like a special insurance due to termite infestation? Is there special fire insurance? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But they'll include a camper attachment with it. Did you see those exhaust pipes? (laughs) I love the interior. It's got the star interior from a Rolls Royce. The things people will spend money on and build just blow my mind. My question is, is there an actual car under there? The body is under there and it's just covered in geometrically aligned Cybertruck-esque plywood panels what is underneath if you look at the interior picture and you look at the roof that's wood there is no like Acura MDX underneath this oh what it's, you know what you're Acura right MDX, it's you're Acura right. MDX chassis there are you're no right. MDX body panels on this you're right the roof from the inside shot you can see the wood so they cut the roof off this was a unibody car how the fuck did they do this <laughs> I don't know that any of that matters because there's two important points here first of all It is a legitimate Tesla-like product because the parts were sourced from the same place that Tesla sources its parts. The other thing is I have to commend them on the precision of the alignment of the body panels and all of the color matches. Look at that panel gap. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Elon better watch his back. Acura is coming for you. This is one of those moments when you're up at the mountain and Dan's like, I can do it for cheaper. The question is, is this going to be a collectible more than the HHR? I think this will be in a museum. You'll see this in like Ripley's Believe It or Not. By museum, you mean bonfire. Junkyard, same difference. (laughs) I have a question. I guess in fairness, there's no rules around this. It's street legal. Yeah, because it's an Acura MDX. Yeah, it's titled as an MDX. (laughs) But if the body panels have been removed, disturbed... I mean, clearly the front bumper, the crash brace bar is still there. So I guess structurally and safety wise, what if you get hit in this wood box? (laughs) Well, they put you straight in the ground. You're already in your coffin. Nobody light a match. (laughs) Yeah, You can't smoke it. This is a no smokers car. This thing is genius. That's all I'm going to say. Do you think this is like treated like... If it's out in the elements, because it has no windows. It still has the barcode on the fender, like when he bought it from Home Depot. I mean, you can tell. It's ridiculous. But did he splurge for the pressure-treated outdoor grade It's Arizona. It's there in the desert. It doesn't rain. That's true. You're right. It doesn't rain. It's Arizona. I like the added touch of the tire shine on the tire treads. Did you guys notice that? It's fresh to death, yo. This thing is awesome. But you know what? All jokes aside, it has something in common with a vehicle that we're going to talk about later. This thing is just amazing. Brad, I think you should give up your Cybertruck allotment for a Plyber truck. Three brand new Tesla Roadsters have been found sitting in a container for over a decade. And that is where they shall remain because nobody wants them. How'd they get there? They found a shipping container in China with three brand new Tesla Roadsters. They used the 3D scanning from the Titanic now. (laughs) X-ray vision into the shipping containers, which I think we need, actually. How many shipping containers that still God knows what's in them, but we probably don't want to know. 
cool. They're brand new. They're going to need new batteries. Guarantee they don't work. I'm surprised they haven't caught fire. I thought Tesla said you couldn't get the batteries for those anymore. So basically you had a 3,000 pound paperweight, which is the scary part about some of these electric cars. What happens when the battery technology changes? Let's say we do standardize. Who uses D batteries anymore as an example? Anybody? No. You make the same power out of four double A's, you know, that kind of thing. And so what happens when you can't get the battery for your EV anymore? I think this is a classic case of brand new cars that are useless. I mean, maybe they'll end up in a museum somewhere. Yeah. It's sad. Are we sure they're really Teslas? <laughs> are they Terslers or Twizzlers or something like that? Are we sure they're Teslas? We're never quite sure. They could be protons for all we know in Malaysia. So kind of wrapping out our showcase here, talking about all things lost, found, historical, and just weird. Did you know that the Corvette finds its roots in, of all places, Watkins Glen? No. There's a little known story from the creator of the Corvette, Harley J. Earl, who talked to the Detroit Free Press, I think it was, several years after the Corvette was built and is quoted as saying, I went to the Grand Prix at the Glen and it inspired me to build a sports car. Our friendly friends at the International Motor Racing Research Center have been digging into that story, going through the archives, fact-checking, verifying, etc. And I actually got together with Kip he did a presentation in preparation for the 70th anniversary of the Corvette this year and the 75th anniversary of Watkins Glen. And it kind of ties the two stories together. They're doing a big to-do at the Glen celebrating the Corvette's birthday. It's all about Corvette this year, which is awesome. They're giving away a Corvette or here as we go along, how you can enter to win that Corvette. We have hosted the story in a couple of different places. You can get it on a garage style. You'll be able to get it over on gtmotorsports.org, stuff like that. And it's the little known story of how Watkins Glen influenced Harley J. Earl into designing the Corvette. And the car that actually kind of sort of spawned the Corvette's beginnings is also quite interesting too. It carries the name Le Saber. If you want to know more about the early, early, early days of the Corvette, head on over to Garage Style and GT Motorsports to check out that article. And there's one more little bit of history that we need to talk about. I think he's looking pretty damn good for 84 years young. What do y'all think? Indeed. Yeah. If you're just tuning into the show today, all you have to do is go back one episode to know what we're talking about. In celebration of our three-year anniversary of Break Fix and 200 episodes later, and believe me, our foot is still heavy to the floor on the accelerator pedal around here, we had the legendary. If there is anyone that is the man, the myth, and the legend rolled up into one, we had Mario Andretti on the show and a big shout out to our friend William Ross over at Exotic Car Marketplace for making a lot of that happen and being part of that and and a shout out to the IMRC as well for helping us with some of the research etc but having Mario on the show was absolutely amazing he is very sharp he is very technical and he is raring to get behind the wheel of a modern formula 1 car again and he talks about that on the episode. He also talks about the future of Andretti Autosport and Formula One and their relationship with Wayne Taylor Racing as well. It wasn't just old stuff talking about dirt car or, or Indy or the Daytona 500. We talked about all sorts of really interesting stuff, uh, a lot to do with his time at Le Mans in Formula One. And also, if you're unaware, he ran Pike's Peak three times with Bobby Unser. So lots of really cool stuff in that episode, especially if you want to know some little tidbits about Mario's history that you might not already know. Well, that wraps up Lost and Found. Now it's time to talk about 
Porsche, Audi, and Volkswagen news. What do we have? We've already heard Audi's entering the Formula One fray, going to join with Sauber, who is branded as Alfa Romeo right now. Not until 2026 when the new engine stuff changes. The announcement, the latest one, was they're planning later this year to do bench testing on their proposed engine for the future. I would love to hear that. Rumor has it, after this episode airs, mark your calendars, June the 8th, On the anniversary of the iconic Porsche 356, Porsche is launching a new car. Another 911. Right? It's a new special edition 911 that will cost $5 million on Bring a Trailer. Put some sort of like 356 badge on it then, like, I don't know, make it special. There's some interesting stuff in here, like a quote from Seinfeld that says they might be putting the flat eight in this car. I'm like, it's flat eight. What? what? What are we talking about here? Well, plus remember the race cars are mid-engine now. Well, I guess they keep moving the six-cylinder forward. They got extra space in the engine compartment. They can add two more cylinders now. So that gives them a lot more room. They could do that. I think Seinfeld's on crack, but yeah, I th- that would be cool if they did that. Why does Porsche do the things they do? <laughs> Why do they call it Ovaltine? <laughs> He's got a license plate that says Plyberman. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need another 911? Do we need another livery package? Do we need another combination of letters? You know, whether it's the 911 ST that has been rumored. To Tanya's point, it's just going to be another 911. Where is the new 928? Where is the new 944? Where, where, where? The new 928 is the Cayenne and the new 944 is the McCann or whatever it's called. Porsche do something different. I did find something interesting this month, a quick follow-up as we kind of travel to Lower Saxony here. There's new news about the e-ink that BMW is alleging for, you know, some of their concept cars. And you remember we heard about the e-ink prism. It's that multicolor e-paper film. They did it on a couple of BMW prototypes and it's like you could have like grayscale, white, black, whatever. Now they're talking color changing. What? I don't know. Are we supposed to be surprised? No, but we speculated about this. How cool would it be going down the road and you get one of those cheesy little remotes? Like when you buy any Chinese LED from Amazon, right? With the little buttons that you hit blue, green, red, yellow. Honestly, I think it's stupid and I hope it doesn't happen. Why? You don't want to be automatically be able to repaint your car on the fly? It's not repainting though. No, not really. And the first rock that hits it, I'm sure is going to F the whole thing up. Not to mention, there's just too many bad people in the world. I was about to say, what does law enforcement think about this? Oh, my car was yellow. Hit a quick button. Oh, uh, that wasn't me who just ran over an old lady on a sidewalk. That was that yellow car. My car is purple. Oh, you got to make the car red so it hides the blood. My bad, you're right. That'll all change in the future. I'm going to make a really old reference here. In the but year it's... 2000. <laughs> it's going to be like the pilot episode of Sequest. It's going to be RFIDs and barcodes. And it doesn't matter what color your bike is or your car is or whatever because you're not going to be able to change that tag we're not going to need license plates in the future everything's going to be wireless and electronic we're not even going to need roads in the that's future. where we're going we don't need them yes i don't want that to happen either it's going to happen i'm telling you we just deducted 250 dollars from your bank account thank you for speeding <laughs> that's how it's going to work i'm telling you it's coming sequest but it's not going to be dollars it's going to, we just took 250 credits from you doge or what's that new currency that they're talking about that's supposed to rival the dollar? Muskets. Muskets? What is this, the Revolutionary War times? No, Musk, Elon Musk. Oh, that's his new cr- muskets. I like that. 
Well, you know what's not good? And I was a little scared the other day. <sighs> Recall from Stellantis. And I'm like, luckily, thankfully, I read it very carefully. I'm glad you did because, you know, one of our members is very quick to point out whenever there's anything wrong with something that might be owned by somebody else in the group. So if you own one of these vehicles from 2014 to 2016, there is a recall for over 220,000 Jeep Cherokees, not Grand Cherokees, where there is an issue with the power lift gate. There's like a drainage issue. It causes a short. The power lift gates might catch on fire. The recall states that you should park your car outdoors away from your home. But the recall is when the vehicle gets wet, it might short and catch on fire. So wouldn't it be smart to keep it inside where it's dry? I I was a little confused on the resolution here. If you were out driving it in the rain and then you came home and parked it in your garage, you probably shouldn't do that. (laughs) Yes. Just let it burn to the ground. I mean, it is a regular Cherokee. Maybe you shouldn't be driving it in the rain at all because couldn't it spark and catch on fire while you're doing 70 down the road? That'd be cool. This is part of a long list of terrible recalls by Stellantis customer service right now. Kid you not, I have a series of them for the Pacifica. And the very first one is like, there's a problem with the transmission. Like, that's all it said. (laughs) He's just like, don't call us. We'll call you. I mean, that's like literally the gist of the email. (laughs) I have it taped to the fridge in the garage. I kid you not. And I look at it and I laugh. It's right next to the recall I continue to get. For a 2000 Audi TT for the airbags, which, you know, I want to take the race car to the dealership and see what they think. I love these recalls, right? And then there was another one that came after it and it said, okay, we've identified that the transmission may fail and the car will just stop operating without warning. There will be no symptoms. I'm like, okay. And I'm looking for the resolution. Like, what are you supposed to do? And there's no resolution. Wait for them to call. (laughs) Again, it's we will call you, right? (laughs) Well, our people will call your people. But it doesn't say, don't stop driving your car. It's just like, you know, your transmission just might stop working. Like, oh, okay, that's cool. So we got the third one. And then it finally says nothing more than the previous two said other than call us to discuss your vehicle. So they've written us three times. And my wife is like, isn't this the problem we already had where they replaced it like a while ago? Because we did have an issue where it just suddenly bricked itself and Chrysler swooped in and they changed the trans. They actually put an upgraded trans in and all this other kind of stuff. And it was all under warranty and it was great. So I'm wondering if we were on the front end of that particular recall, the absurdity to put that paranoia in any minute now, my car might just die. 70 miles an hour on the highway, right? I mean, that's just insane. You know, I want to go back to your recall for the TT. I wholeheartedly think you should load it up on the trailer and take it down to the Audi dealer and say, yes, I've got a recall for airbags. I need new airbags. Can you please put them in my car? The best would be to hand them the airbag controller and the steering wheel. Yes, they give me my new airbags. They're not attached (laughs) to the car at all. Yes. Oh, that'd be great. Now that we've dipped our toe into our domestic news, let's continue on with the rest of Ford and GM brought to us by AmericanMuscle.com, your source for OEM and performance replacement parts for your Stellantis GM or Ford product. First one is the Ford F-150 Lightning, their EV electric pickup truck, catching fire at Dearborn. So actually three of them, I guess, were in the lot. There was some issue with battery cells and they, I guess, spontaneously combusted because there was nobody in them. They might have been on 
chargers. Maybe they were actively being charged. And obviously, if there was a problem with a cell, created a reaction, set it on fire, et cetera, et cetera. I found it funny. The responding officers, quote, we're not putting this effort out. <laughs> Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> they have to put like a whole effing lake on it to put them out. <laughs> So it went full Chernobyl is what you're saying. All three of them pretty melted down from the photos. I mean, they're not completely down to like just nothing as we've seen some other EVs, like some Teslas. There's been photos of that before. Like, I I think they caught them in time. Did they confirm that all three of them spontaneously combusted or just one did and got the other two? Oh, chain reaction. I'm saying that. Because it looks like the one in the middle is, is significantly the most... more damage. I'm wondering if that's the one. But then the left side of the one on the right exactly. is like, destroyed too. Right. So. It's like the rightmost truck, the left side of it is more destroyed maybe than the side next to them. Yeah. So who who knows it does look like they were charging too this looks, it does look like they were stations. charging all it says is that they traced it back to a battery cell production issue you made an astute observation there bradley since you have your indiana jones hat on as well you're looking for things here you found a clue and this is something i've been thinking about for a while so imagine you're at sheets or target walmart and they have tesla chargers or they have whatever chargers available and you're in a row of cars and maybe you go about your business and something like this happens and the truck next to you melts to the ground in a pile of goo. Is it going to create a chain reaction with all the other EVs that are there charging? Technically, if the flames or the heat alone, yes, that's a huge risk on any lithium battery, whether it's your cell phone or your laptop or whatever it is. You do not want to expose them to extreme heat or any sort of fire because you can fuck them up. <laughs> And then bad things happen. <laughs> what happens? You can compromise when, them, right? And then they'll yeah. go off on their own. When a vehicle is charging and it explodes, it catches fire like this, and you spontaneously combust, does it do anything to the system that it's connected to? Does it send some oh, sort of like overload or something back through the system that could affect other vehicles that might be on the system as well? I hadn't even thought about that. And you're right. There's some sort of feedback. You know, maybe those systems have an emergency cutoff. I would assume they've designed them because you can do that right in the, if you want to call it circuitry for probably lack of proper technical term. Yeah, but when the circuitry is melting. <laughs> they designed the cars to not spontaneous combust too. But they You'll have blown that. some other capacitor in that circuit, right? So when you're charging yeah. anything, you could have a reverse signal where it faults and then will stop a kill the flow or something that, into yeah. whatever it's trying to charge. It reaches a certain voltage and just shuts off or something like that, maybe. The article makes it sound like the growing risk of, of EVs and fire, right? And what we don't know is, and what other people will counter-argue, is that plenty of ice engines do catch on fire. You'll see them on the side of the road burnt down the same way as an EV. Of the vehicles on the road, what percentage of those are catching fire versus what percentage of EVs on the road are catching fire? I don't know what those numbers are. Are they higher in EVs? Are they less? Like if you normalize them together, which one has the higher risk? The bigger problem isn't any of them catching on fire. The bigger problem is it's really easy to put out an ice engine fire. You put the fire hose on it and you're done. 
the lithium battery fire is much more difficult to put out. Not all the fire people are trained and they don't have the proper foam or whatever other chemicals that they need beyond water to put them out. And my other concern with EVs would be, what is all that doing to the environment if you're dousing all that foam and stuff and then it's leaching into your groundwater, into your drinking water and all that and stuff. There's the other ramifications. Too. Is it like environmentally friendly foam? No, it's nasty stuff like Halon and other things. In response to your ice engine cars on the side of the road burning down, and I say, yes, I've seen that too. But have you paid close attention to those cars that are burning on the shoulder? They sort of deserved it. (laughs) (laughs) We can take Daniel's square body as case in point. We have video of that, by the way, if anybody wants to see it available free on our YouTube. Hit us up on Discord. Speaking of General Motors, they're taking a step into 2015. They just hired an Apple executive to head up their new software division. I'm not an IT person, so I could care less. Yeah, same. It's sort of like when the Apple guy was waving the flag at that race and nobody knew who he was. Oh, is the point of this to show how General Motors is still constantly behind the times? (laughs) I think so, right? It would have been funnier if they had said that they had hired somebody from like BlackBerry. They're like, yeah. Bold move there, Cotton. <laughs> Nokia executive hired by General Motors. Like, all right, you got a vision of the future. Year 2000. <laughs> Again, lost and found. All this stuff coming to the surface. Again, in, in the line of General Motors. Over the last couple of years, we've talked about all the extensive issues and recalls with the C8. Some are funny, some not so much that you know need to be taken care of right away, especially if you have an early C8, stuff like that. But now... As we've mentioned before, a lot of tracks are sort of bipolar on where they stand in terms of allowing EVs on track. Last month, I believe it was, we talked about how Summit Point has put out, because of new insurance and things like that, no EVs on the track of any kind. It doesn't matter who they're made by. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go as a spectator and be in the paddock and things like that, but you're not going to run your Tesla at Summit Point on the track, you know, things like that. A lot more racetracks are taking that stance. And what's the hottest car on the market right now with an electric hybrid that everybody probably wants to take to their next hooked on driving event? Tracks are saying no way to the E-Ray. Oh, well. It's like the NSX in a lot of ways, as we've joked about in the past. It's such a small hybrid. I sort of feel like the Corvette didn't need this. This article specifically touches on events sanctioned by the National Council of Corvette Clubs. They're the ones banning the E-Ray. You know, I'm not that big of an EV fan to begin with, but I feel like this is more of a political move to show their dislike for the fact that Corvette has gone E more than they want to just ban it because it's an EV. Are you saying this is a okay boomer moment? Yes. (laughs) In addition to the things you've already stated, like the cost of insurance and stuff like that, these people are running DEs and and club racing and things like that. Yes, those costs go up. But my spidey senses are tingling, and I feel like this is a political move for some reason. I don't know why. I'm just, my, my cynicism is getting the better of me. But haven't other organizations also said no EVs on track? I don't know that organizations specifically have, but some racetracks specifically have. That's correct. But when but when I saw this was events sanctioned by the National Council of Corvette Clubs, it kind of 
triggered. I'm triggered. I feel triggered. (laughs) Well, I don't know what to think about it. You know, I have said before that I think the C8 was a step away from the classic Corvette owner. And no offense, we have plenty of friends in the Corvette club. We love Corvettes. I love going to NCM and coaching Corvettes and things like that. I still have yet to coach in a C8. That's coming. I think it's a step away from what people are used to. And I think people are still trying to adjust to that. Like anything else, there's early adopters. But if you look at the crowd of people that are buying Corvettes right now, the C8s, it's going to be younger folks, right? People that want that American NSX, or they want that, it's it's like a Ferrari or like a Lambo, but it's got an LS under the hood, you know, kind of thing. Mid-engine is a step in the right direction for Corvette. They've tried several times over the years. If we look at it historically, you know, there's been a lot of failed attempts at a mid-engine Corvette and they finally did it. It may be a day late and a dollar short in some respects. I mean, would we be having the same discussion today if they had done it when they brought out the C5, kind of stepping away from the C4 instead of waiting until now? Who knows, right? We don't know. But people are sometimes hesitant to change, reluctant to change. This is a microcosm of that versus, let's say, the greater EV discussion where people are still grappling with range anxiety and other issues and things we're talking about. I mean, the fire is a real concern. This stinks a little bit. It's a little petty. Unless the track says no, who cares? Or if your insurance company says no. Right. But if the insurance company says we will allow it for X amount of dollars, then you increase your registration costs to cover it. Or you charge the people that want to bring an EV a little bit more money. If the E-Ray is probably heavier than the stock C8 because of everything else it has to carry with it. Yes, it's making more power, but let's say they left the brakes alone and it's anything like Andrew's C8 was and it chews up the brakes and suddenly you've got nothing going into turn one at Summit Point at 150 miles an hour. The ramifications of that wreck, to Tanya's point from earlier, are you equipped to handle the battery fire and everything else that's going to come from that, right? So that's a scary reality. What about you as the driver? That lithium fire that they can't put out quickly that's burning hotter likely than if your gas card caught your fire suit probably isn't rated for lithium ion battery fire. Yeah, it's useless. So we'll have to have a conversation with our resident safety clothing and apparel company to see if there's any developments on changing the technology behind race suits to see if they're going to make something. And there might be since don't they have Formula E? So yeah, those guys so might have Formula special e million dollar race suits, but is that trickling down to OG? How many fires have there been at a Formula E event since the race series has started? If they do happen, it's not publicized very often. Although I don't know how much of Formula E is publicized. (laughs) I don't know. I never hear anything about it and I don't follow it. So, you know, we talk about EVs and they spontaneously combust and everything like that. Does it ever happen when they're moving or is it only when they're stationary and shut off? A lot of the ones that I've reported seem to be like randomly parked in garages and stuff, but I don't know which ones were moving. Obviously, when they've suddenly stopped moving, there have been problems, fires. (laughs) They once were moving and abruptly stopped. Isn't that what Clarkson said would always get you? It's that sudden stop? Yeah, it's not the speed that gets you, it's that stopping. Speaking of the Chevrolet Corvette E-Ray, the first electrified Chevrolet Corvette E-Ray just sold for over one million dollars did it come with lasers you mean for the windshield wipers yes 
A million bucks for a Corvette, really? I don't know what to say. Somebody with money that that was like $1,000 to them. Rick Hendrick, C8 Corvette NASCAR team owner. Oh, Hendrick Motorsports. Yeah, okay. Well. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was like $1,000. Yeah, he prints money. I mean, come on. Good for him. He can say he had the first one, right? And it's a Hendrick Corvette or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But a million bucks. I mean, it's still an expensive car at 150 grand or whatever it is. Damn, a million? If that ain't enough, sounds like Audi's not going to be the only one bringing power plants to Formula One. Nope. General Motors. Supposedly Chevy is going to join up with Andretti if they get their Formula team. So will this be the turbocharged HHR four-cylinder? Or will this be a big old thumping LS? It'll probably be closer to the four-cylinder turbo. But will it be a Chevy power plant or a Cadillac power plant? Because Cadillac seems to be at the front end of racing for GM right now. I mean, it'll be Cadillac. They're so strong in the other racing. Of course it's going to be. Cadillac is GM's racing division, apparently. It'd be one thing if this was the old days of Formula One, where you could bring anything to the party. Four-cylinder turbo, V8, V10, flat 12, like Ferrari used to have in the 80s, you know, stuff like that. Yes, if they could pick up a Chevy V8 out of an Indy car and say, yeah, we got a power plant for days because they can get those like a dime a dozen and drop it into a Formula One chassis. Sure. They got to engineer this from scratch. Maybe the quad four is the answer, right? We know it can make in a billion horsepower and a cobalt and an HHR. So maybe that's the pedigree of the future General Motors Formula One. It's not going to be a North Star motor? No, definitely not. No cylinder deactivation. Trash. Moving on to JDM and Asian car news, Toyota, again, the hotness says hybrid and a manual in the Supra. Can you believe it? Go for it. Damn right. It's about time. Make that money. But is it about time or is this just old news? Because Honda did this with the CRZ. It was the first manual hybrid if you check the history books there i'm sure there must be differences in how the clutch works too between them toyota's got a plan to bring a hybrid to the manuals or the manuals to the hybrids this is interesting i want to stay on top of this story i want to see where this goes would be really curious to drive one for sure i can see this partnering probably with the small motor the four-cylinder turbo that they already had with the manual so it's kind of the next logical conclusion to do that I like the fact that if they go in that direction, it's another step away from BMW for the Supra. Toyota sort of making the Supra its own, even though it's still going to have the Z4 chassis. Next up, the Supra will be a station wagon, just like the Z4 Touring Coupe or whatever they're calling it. But hey, you know, we'll, we'll leave that where it is. Good for Toyota. Again, the hotness. They are pushing the boundaries of what is possible. So in other Toyota news, apparently they've gotten the green light from the state of California to begin selling hydrogen electric semi-truck powertrains in an attempt to push those trucks away from diesel. That's scary stuff for Tesla there, isn't it? I think it's a great idea. When is that electric semi coming again? It already came and then it got like towed or something. I remember seeing something recently, like they got delivered. Who took the first orders? Was it like Pepsi or something? It like broke down immediately. Apparently. Wow. <laughs> 
the first load they put on it. Did it get towed by a diesel? That's the best, right? I don't remember like what the failure was. It was unfortunately broken down on the side of the road pretty soon after receipt. And they received a letter from Tesla that said, don't call us, we'll call you. But hey, they got no issues. You know, what's great about this article is it's actually a little bit of foreshadowing for one of our guests that we had on. We had Carrie Weishar on here who actually works for Pactar and some other places where they do testing for semis. She's been in the business for a long time. She's worked for Peterbilt and some other big semi companies. And she actually talked about what the future of semis looks like and some of the hybrids and things like that. And her episode is actually available right now for pre-release on her website and that's trophygirldesigns.com so you can go check it out over there and listen to some really interesting information about the semi industry and also her adventure going to the top of Pike's Peak in a racing semi. Really cool episode to check out. Nod to Mountain Man Dan for co-hosting that episode with me. You know, really excited to kind of keep the pulse on what's going on in the big truck world as well. Just remember that Tesla's not the only one making changes out there. If you're a Canadian, beware. You could accidentally buy a Hyundai Ioniq 5 Essential, which actually you can't accidentally buy them anymore because only 30 units were made and sold in 2022. If you did accidentally buy one of these and you haven't realized it yet, you cannot fast charge on them. (laughs) Apparently, Essential means basic, basic, basic. So I don't know if it takes like nine years to charge. It looks like five hours. These essential units were actually just like compliance models. (laughs) So I'm not sure why they were even sold. (laughs) Like why would Hyundai do that? It doesn't make sense. Like we're going to give you something that takes a week to charge. It's unfortunate to spend 40 plus grand on something and then get it home and then realize. (laughs) I don't even think it's retrofitable to the fast charging system for whatever reason. Hyundai should just send all those people new cars and then flatbed the old ones out of there. That's just sad. I have to say, you know, we talked earlier in our showcase about hot family cars. If it's good enough for John Cena, it might be good enough for the rest of us. Would you like to guess what his daily driver is? 2014 Dodge Dart. Oh, you wish he did. No, I know it's a Honda Civic. 2020 Civic Type R with a manual. And he's on an interview. I guess he's on a podcast or something. And it's a short little moment that they clipped out of it. And it's actually a riot. He compares it to, I guess he owns a Countach as well. And just why the Countach is just complete garbage. And the Honda is reliable. He gets in it. It'll do 140 miles, blah, blah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, you know what? Respect. Props. Good for you, John Cena. Promised earlier that we were going to find a tie to Brad's new Plyber truck to a new concept in EV car that Tanya is going to tell us about. And what's the relationship between those two? Polestar with no glass. The Plyber truck you couldn't see out the back of. It had no rear glass. So does that mean it's got a camera? That's the thing with the Polestar, their new SUV that they're claiming is going to have no back window is because it has 900 cameras on it. I'm exaggerating, but I'm assuming like a lot of cars have the backup camera. So when you're in reverse and you go, well, wait a second, I don't back up down the road. I still need to look out the back glass, which nobody does. So, I mean, why do you need a rear glass? They'll have the integrated camera in the rear view mirror. So you'd still have a rear view mirror. And when you look in it, you'll be seeing what's behind you without seeing what's behind you which I guess is great till that stops working. But again, nobody uses their mirrors anyway, so it really doesn't matter. Why 
You don't need the glass. You don't need the mirror. I was about to say, why is this news? Contractors and painters have been driving vans without <laughs> rear glass for decades. Why is this news? That's a great point. <laughs> Although you're right, 100%. This is race car technology. If you follow sports and endurance racing, they don't have rear view mirrors either. They use those onboard TVs with cameras facing out the back. You can't see out the back of the Ferrari 296 or the Huracan or any of those cars, especially with the roll cages and all the other stuff they have to have and onboard cameras for TV and all that stuff. So they've got cameras out the back and that's how they see who's coming up behind them. They've been doing that for years. I find this interesting in the sense that race car technology is finding its way to the street. Isn't that how it always works though? Doesn't it start in motorsport and then eventually, I mean, for most, for some things, it starts in motorsport and then trickles down to civilian life. I've driven a car with this technology, Andrew's C8, and I absolutely hated it. It was terrible. And I would never use it if I had the option. I would rather drive with not being able to see and just use my side mirrors than to use that crap. Here's a name that we haven't heard in a while. Saab. Saab? Ooh. Born from jets. Apparently, I guess, the company that they became or bought them, which there's like 20 people left in it, (laughs) (laughs) has been working on a new Saab for quite some time now. And they're alleging the, what they're calling the Emily GT. Saab 90,000. Nev's Emily GT, because Nev's is the name of whatever this company is that owns Saab now, or at least the name. They've been working on their own EV that is claiming 600 miles range, 484 horsepower with honest to goodness torque vectoring, and even a performance variant that'll get you 653 horsepower. I really like the front. It looks like another car. The front looks like a Camaro. The back, whatever. These little spy photos that are like taken in a dark alley closet with no lighting are really hard to... This is like when DeLorean Reimagined did that whole thing and we counted it down and all you saw was one third of the quarter panel. Yeah, this is the same thing. This is annoying. It's old now, but the interior is where I'm stuck and I'm confused and... I'm not sure the hole in the back of the seat for like, if this was your family car, your child would be like kicking you in the back of the head through that hole. (laughs) Throwing Cheerios at you. Yeah. Are those from a massage parlor? Are you supposed to put your face through that hole? Like, I don't understand. It looks like a dentist's office inside of this car. You read the comments below and people are like, oh my God, that interior is so gorgeous. And I'm like... What are you talking about? Saab people are weird anyway, so it fits the Saab brand. Anybody who likes putting their car key in the floor to start the car, I mean, shit. I like the color, though. This weird goes back to the C70 Volvo, burnt copper. That color is having a resurgence, and I'm okay with it. The only thing I like about this car is the front, but it looks like another car. We talked about semis earlier. I'm just kind of following along with that since we're talking about EVs. Diesel versus EV. There was actually a recorded part of a congressional hearing that you can find as part of a TikTok video that Mountain Man Dan sent us. What is disclosed, as Brad would say, a dudoy moment, but also a reality of what's happening in that market space? The look on this guy's face. <laughs> I mean, he gets shut down by this congressman. When he says the words, we're going to pass the cost onto the consumer, I was immediately like, bruh, we're done. I was like, damn your face right now. (laughs) 
I didn't think they'd catch that part. <laughs> yeah, right? Just this sheer audacity that some of these corporations have where they're like, pass it on to the consumer. We'll make it a subscription plan. Pay to play. Blah, blah, blah. It'll all come out in the wash. It's unfortunate because these new semis that they're proposing are three times what a standard semi costs. Not that a standard semi is cheap. So what's the cost of uh, your Amazon Prime membership going to go up to? <laughs> is it worth all that free shipping now? <laughs> <laughs> the base model EV semis are starting at the high end of the petrol powered ones, and they just go up from there. Who's going to recoup the cost? It's going to come on us. And this is where I get the environmental impact of continuing to run the old trucks. But if the old trucks are still running, can't we find ways to retrofit things like we've talked about synthetic fuels or whatever diesel the motor itself isn't necessarily as dirty as the stuff we run through it there's arguments to be made we've made them before but there's got to be ways to maybe make some of those older trucks better there's got to be a market there for people to develop parts and it's not passing the cost on to all of us as consumers and making Pepsi or Amazon or whoever, like we've been talking about, buy all new trucks at three times their value. I think it's sad. And I think more people need to understand what's going on. Not just those of us that are in the car community, talk to your fellow civilians and explain to them in simple terms, maybe show them this video, get them to understand what's going on and what's being discussed. Sometimes I, I wish we spent more time watching C-SPAN than CBS Paramount Prime. Get in touch with what's going on behind the scenes. Well, I don't know if this guy just got ripped off, if it really costs that much. It's another article from The Drive. That's what and it is. I think we do know that when an EV is involved in an accident, the repair costs seem to be generally higher than your traditional ice-powered vehicle. Which is why all our insurance rates went up because they're passing on the savings. I love paying for other people's stupidity. But anyway, so this Rivian owner got rear-ended, damaged the rear bumper from the picture. Actually, it doesn't even look like it's that badly damaged, but apparently it was $42,000 worth of repairs. Where? The majority of its labor hours because the shop literally took the entire rear of the vehicle apart and rebuilt the thing, basically. Which... Is part of the, did this guy get scammed or something because there was another person that said that they were involved in a similar accident and it cost them less than half of that. They paid 14000 That's still insane for a pickup truck, for a rear bumper. They'd be like, I'm going to go down to the junkyard and get one for 500 bucks. Well, for 42000 he could have bought any of those cars off our top list. What was that first list of? 300 horsepower cars. That's right. 300 horsepower cars. <laughs> So, Tanya, does this change your mind about the Rivian? Do you want one still? I mean, I don't. I mean, I know you don't want one, but. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you like. But I don't that. think it's unique to Rivian necessarily because your Tesla gets, gets rear-ended. It ain't going to cost you $300 to fix. It's not no, going to be no. Toyota Corolla or Honda repair charges and you'll be out of a car for months but part of this could be volume too like to eric's point you know if one of us is in a wreck we can go down to the junkyard and get a replacement part or something just because there's so many more of those vehicles around how many rivians are on the road right now i mean i see them all the time but that's here. just it it's the barrier to entry right and so obviously we're not privy to their profit margins and all that kind of stuff but if you're doing the math $42,000 for a repair bill, whether your insurance company is canceling you after that or not, 
I'd rather buy an F-150 gas guzzling, EcoBoost, whatever, than deal with this nonsense. Because at least if something happens, I can go to Ford or I can go to the junkyard or I can get the part after market because it is the best selling car in the planet, even though it's a truck. But the point is, if Rivian reduced the cost and it wasn't a $100,000 pickup, maybe more people would buy them. If it was a $30,000 pickup, it'd be something different. There'd be more volume, right? So they're playing this game and I have seen more Rivians on the road and I'm starting to actually dislike them. In the beginning, I liked them because they were so niche and so different. But the more I see them, I'm just like, ugh, ugh, you have an R1T or you have the R1S. I've seen the SUVs too. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. And then the fear that it's going to spontaneously combust. And who's paying for that? That's not unique to Rivian. It's not, but it's very expensive. And is Rivian going to give you a new truck when it burns to the ground? That's the thing that we haven't heard about these things either. And again, say in this case, this guy wasn't rear-ended. He was front-ended, potentially deadlier accident, but then it burned. Which is a matter of fact, you're hit anymore in EVs when you're sitting on top of it. In my truck, I sit on top of the fuel tank. How is that any different? I don't sit on my fuel tank. <laughs> no, my passengers sit on my fuel tank. It's in the back. Yeah, I mean, it, it's down the center of the cabin, though. Because generally, when you're rear-ended, your gas tank doesn't absorb the impact and crack open and then a match get lit and explode under your ass. Well, I would like to think that with the electric vehicles, they're designed... To where the battery does not take the impact of an accident. They should be, but you have to trust that something so temperamental like a lithium battery cell, I wouldn't want to be in an accident in one of them. Yeah, I don't trust anybody anyway, so. Well, no, but there's a lot more variables. There's a lot more chemistry involved. To Tanya's point, you crack open the battery like an egg. There's other things that are happening. You suddenly exposed all that stuff to oxygen or, or carbon dioxide or something else or, or some you know moisture. Something happens that causes a react. Gasoline, it pours on the ground. Yeah, it's bad but it evaporates as long as you don't expose it to flame. Or spark on a rock or something. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that too. <laughs> I mean, it either has to be at a super high temperature that it auto ignites, which probably isn't, or there needs to be a flame. Whether it's coming from a literal flame or a spark, it's still a flame that creates the combustion. So this is not unique to Rivian. I don't know if that guy got scammed. I think he kind of got scammed because it says there are only three certified shops in his location to work on the Rivian. So I, th I feel like there's some collusion here. I mean, that doesn't sound absurd because to your earlier point, they make like three of them. So there's not volume. So you're not going to have a dealership on every street corner that, no, or a service center that can fix these things. And if it wasn't a Rivian certified place, it might be like in the contracting world, it might be one of those FU numbers. They threw it out there and they went, okay, well, we got to get it fixed. So that's what we're going to pay. And those guys are laughing all the way to the bank because they look at the complexity of the job and they make the quote really high. You got no choice, right? It is what it is. If it was me, I would have just left the bumper messed up and pocketed the 40 grand. <laughs> That's how you do it with your Ford. I think I'd want to know that nothing was compromised around the batteries. Yeah, yeah, but how do you do that without some sort of x-ray vision? But that's why they took the car apart. Yeah, they took the entire thing apart. Are they going to have it certified by Rivian that this will not spontaneously combust as a result of this accident and the work that was done? It is under warranty. Who's taking the liability for this? Pass on to the consumer. We already established that. 
because this brings me to i used to watch the tv show gas monkey garage Mm -hmm. and they took on the challenge of rebuilding a totaled ferrari f40 they went through so much painstaking work and they even had to have the chassis recertified by ferrari before they could sell it for the you know, the amount of money that they were trying to sell it for i'm wondering if something similar has to happen with this like if the shop is going to certify or rivian's going to certify yes that the vehicle is sound now because somebody's going to take on the liability for if this thing actually does blow up or is still compromised Who's signing off on this saying, yeah, it's good to go? I'll just say this, because I saw a 2006-ish Tahoe Z71, like we were talking about earlier, going down the road the other day. And I, and by going down the road, I mean almost sideways, because it was that severe crab walk. Because the frame was bent. If you see a Rivian doing that, just pull over. Just stop driving and wait for the mushroom cloud, because <laughs> that is not good. <laughs> And that's just it. That's the other thing that I worry about is when you buy a truck, I mean, we're not talking square bodies here, although they are still on the road, but a lot of people do keep their trucks for a very, very long time. And trucks are used and abused. And these Rivians, where will they be 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Will they even be? And that's what goes back to my point of we've made them so expensive, so expensive to repair And it's not like it's something collectible. It's a pickup truck. Are there going to have to be special junkyards for these electric vehicles? Hazmat facilities. Decommissioned? It has to be. Are they going to go back to the manufacturer to recycle the parts? That's the talk from Volkswagen and other people that there's a whole recycling process. But nobody's actually gone through those steps yet. Everything's still so new. There's nothing to recycle. And I find it sort of like the same game they play with recycling a cell phone and some of the other electronics. Like you take it to those places and they end up just dumping it. It goes in a hole somewhere. It's like, you didn't really recycle anything. I don't see it. (sighs) We would be remiss not to talk about Tesla. Oh, what's going on in Elon's kingdom this month? Tesla's new car making process. It's going to be revolutionary and all this stuff. And honestly, I guess you'd have to go back and go to their investors day and find out the details of what was revealed because this article really doesn't explain anything other than some sort of different modular construction and like you'll have all finished parts done elsewhere that then get put together later. Like, okay. Since we're talking about things historical, this actually harkens back to the 80s. It reminds me a lot of how the DMC-12 was built. All the body panels, everything were built off the car and then it was assembled later. But granted, they weren't dealing with paint booths and painting and color matching. In that whole process, they were stamping out stainless steel components and then assembling the car later. I've heard rumor that Musk is a big fan of some of the earlier generation entrepreneurs like DeLorean and Iacocca and others. And he's kind of stealing from their playbooks in some respects. We've built cars for a long time the same way because of the trial and error in the other processes that obviously failed. And we build cars a lot with robots, which are very fast and consistent. Why deviate from that? If you're not building a custom coachwork, 
or some sort of hand-built car, why go through this process of some guys on a Monday morning pumps out 1,400 left front red fenders. And then next week when the temperature is different, he does the rear quarter panel. Another question is whether Tesla can produce multiple vehicle models of different sizes and body styles on the same production line with the unbox system. What does that even mean? So you're going to have like a three coming down with a Y behind it with another three within an X within a Roadster and somehow like you're assembling them all in the end. It's one thing if it was like all the same base platform and then like I'm sticking different body panels on it, but they're not yeah more like the mq chassis volkswagen where it's like well a golf's coming down and then a jetta and then a tt and then whatever else maybe they are and i don't realize it i don't know maybe a model y chassis is exactly the same as a model three i have a feeling they're very similar if i'm reading this correctly it looks like they're getting rid of the assembly line process and they're probably literally going to just take stuff out of a box and put it together. Well, what does that mean? Like I just opened my Lego box and now I'm going to sit here and put all my parts together and then I'm going to open my next Lego box. How is that more efficient? This is than... Elon Musk. That's exactly what it means. <laughs> How is that more efficient than an assembly line dedicated to a Model 3, to a Model I guess y, because you, to a... you don't have to have separate assembly lines for each. You know, what it's going to require is less vacation and more work. You're definitely not going to be able to work from home. And Elon has thoughts on that as he tries to take over the world. He has uh, lots of thoughts. He's the smartest moron I've, I've ever he's seen. He's a tool. <laughs> he's a 10 millimeter socket. Don't offend the 10 millimeter socket like that. Well, most of them are lost as well. Why can't we lose this one? Yeah, Elon Musk is as lost as a 10 millimeter socket. You know what's funny is I listened to something the other day and I know there's the whole cancel culture thing, especially NPR and Twitter and Elon and all that stuff. We talked about that already, but they played some clip of him talking. I literally held my head in my hands and I'm like, who is this tool that is talking right now? They're like, oh, that was Elon Musk. I was like, oh my God, seriously? Yes. He's pushing boundaries. He's challenging norms. He's looking for solutions where there are no problems. The assembly line thing, I don't understand. It worked for Henry Ford 130 years ago. It still works today. They've only made the process better. I don't see why this boxing process or unboxing, whatever, it'll turn into stupid TikTok unboxing videos. Yeah, I don't want to put my car together. It's not a Super 7. It's not a Caterham, right? No, it's not an Erector set. I want my car to be the same color. I want it to be gapped correctly. I want seals that seal. I want a quality piece of equipment. Speaking of Elon Musk and saying stupid things. Vacation is morally wrong. Not that vacation is morally wrong. It's that working from home is morally wrong. Working from home is morally wrong. I don't understand what morals have to do with that, but. When you're king of the world, you can say whatever you want right i mean that's that's where this is my favorite part was musk said he himself works almost every day taking just two to three days off per year i work seven days a week but i'm not expecting others to do that he said cool cool bro you work 363 days out of the year wow you want a freaking gold star if i had a billion dollars in the bank i would do that too give me a billion dollars a year and i will work seven days a week in an office work is a hobby at that point you're not really going to work they say oh you you love what you do and you don't do it for work of course when you're filthy rich when you're rich people thanks everything is a vacation everything's a hobby what do you care you like print money i mean this guy's like one of the richest people on the planet why do we keep feeding this maniac 
more money. Every freaking rocket he puts up into space explodes or whatever. I'm like, come on. I mean, I wouldn't even have talked about this. And the sole purpose to not give this guy more airtime than he deserves. But it's Tesla. The car is one thing, but the stupid stuff that comes out of his mouth. That's the disconnect. Do people not put those two things together? No. How can you ignore that? People do it all the time. If the president of Ford came down and said something like this, people would just like their jaws would hit the floor. No, they wouldn't. They'd go out and they'd rev their F-150 in the driveway (laughs) and they'd go to the grocery store. Well, my expectations are thoroughly lowered. Lowered expectations. Ooh, he went deep. He reached down into his soul for that one. That was good. My deep soul. You're channeling your Barry White right there. That was good. Let's get it on. (laughs) This is one of those moments where you're just not sure what to say. I can tell you what to say. It's what the fuck. (laughs) This car instantly made our uncool wall. Is this a Vern Troyer car? It looks like something that went for him. (laughs) It's the mini me Transam. <laughs> credit where credit is due. It's really well done. No, negative credits. Take credits away from this. It's exceptional. It's a micro no, machine. It is stupid. Okay, folks. It's a 76 Beetle that looks like a Camaro Z28. It's really well done. It really is. It is stupid. <laughs> It is morally wrong. This is what Elon Musk was talking about. (laughs) I love one of the comments in the comment block. It says, okay, you get one car, this or a Pontiac Aztec. (laughs) Wow. This is genius. (laughs) Again, it's up on our uncool wall. You can check it out. You could vote for it. That's all I got to say about that. It hurts. It's so bad. It hurts to look at. It makes me uncomfortable. It's so good. A Camaro makes me uncomfortable anyway, but this, whatever it is, makes me uncomfortable to look at it. You remember the 3D viewfinders we had as a kid and you put in the little disc and you pull the arm? It's what a Camaro would look like through a viewfinder because it's always sort of distorted. It's it's a picture on a Windows 95 computer (laughs) where it's a regular Camaro, but you do stretch to fit. It's designed for an 800 by 600 screen. It is trash. What else is trash? Again, another trailer for the Gran Turismo movie. Have we not learned our lessons yet? All I have to say is doom. This isn't a movie about the video game. This is a movie based on apparently a true story of somebody who entered those Gran Turismo driving experience challenge to find the next great driver or something. And like, that's what this movie is apparently chronicling. So it's not like it's some weird storyline of the video game itself. It's that like there is this real race car driver that was a kid who was so good at playing Gran Turismo video game that he actually got a ride as a professional race car driver now out of this Gran Turismo Academy. And now he's home playing Fortnite, eating Cheetos and drinking Red Bull. No, he's not. He's still a race car driver. Where? Nobody's heard of him. Uh, What series? In Brazil driving Chevy Cruises? I mean, what? 
He's not in Formula One or sports car or anything. No, he's in Toyota Racing Series, FIA F3, British GT Championship, different endurances, GT4, 24 hours of this, that, and the other, Dubai. I think that was maybe like the first race after the Academy or something. Yes, he's achieved more than probably most of us will have ever done, but... Do they race in Maple Valley? <laughs> of course. Africa Hill. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying this is going to be a great movie. I'm also just saying that it's not some weird video game movie. It's a movie that happens to have video game in it. It's not like Doom or whatever other trash you compared it to. What was the other one? The Need for Speed movie? That was oh, that trash. was terrible. Yeah, that was really bad. This is more like a docu. The Gran Turismo sort of takes the center stage on that, and then you immediately go into this bias against it. And that's what I'm trying to highlight here. It's like, it could have been Truth in 24, but then maybe that's not going to pull the people. And so it's this weird game of marketing. And then when people get there, like, oh, this documentary is boring. But the minute it steps away from being a documentary... I don't think we can make it a documentary. No, it's a dramatization. Even though he's been a professional race car driver since 2011 and even to today, he's still active. He's not a Max Verstappen. He's not a Michael yeah. Schumacher. So it's not going to be interesting to be a documentary, right? Like he's had some good finishes in different series, but it's also not earth shattering, right? Yeah. So it's a challenge. I guess we'll have to stay on top of it, see what happens when it comes out. I'm not saying I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to pay money for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely going to review it with Stephen Izzy. I mean, that's all I'm saying about that, right? So it, it's sort of like I'm trying to keep my expectations lowered in this case because I don't want to get into the hype machine. Who knows? Maybe it'll be interesting. Maybe it'll inspire other people to get off the couch and get behind the wheel of a car. If that is the moral of the story, that's excellent. My only issue with the storyline, and it's based on a true story, so fine. I feel like it's one of those one in however many thousands of these kids were like in this academy that it's like the odds of someone who's never driven a car before, they play the video game and suddenly they get in a seat and they can win a race. I don't know. I just have a hard time believing there's such a disconnect between, I don't care how good your simulator is. Uh, I don't know. Maybe if your simulator is like a hundred grand, it could be good enough, but I don't know that Gran Turismo, the video game is good enough that like you're translating into real world driving. And so he could just be raw talent of a person that had he came up through karting or something like that, like he could have gotten to the same place. So it's really less to do about the video game because clearly thousands of other people didn't make it, right? And even there in the races that he won in the academy, he's racing against other, let's say, non-drivers. So you're the best of the worst. Yeah, I don't know how all that worked, but yeah. And if you've got a hundred grand to spend on a simulator, get out of your house and just go buy a Miata. You're going to have more fun. That's the point of a lot of this stuff, right? Jeez, Louise, $100,000 rig. Well, I'm making up a No, you're not wrong because there are, I've looked at them. Some of these sim rigs are 50, 70, 80 plus thousand dollars by the time you're done. They got the gyroscoping, this and that, and the shock absorbers. Buy a car. You can buy a Miata. You could buy a race prepped Miata for less than $30,000 turnkey with a logbook and go to the track and you'll have money left over for years because Miatas cost nothing to run. And you're going to realize on lap two, your video game has nothing to do with reality. As good as it is to your point, Tanya, if you're spending that kind of money, get off the couch and just go drive. Avis, 
we've talked about rental cars before. We know that Hertz was going into a deal with Tesla in the past, and there's been other movement for EVs. And why I bring this up, because amongst my Camp Lejeune, AARP, and other spam mail that I am constantly wading through every day, every once in a while, there's a golden nugget in the pile of turds. And Avis sent me a promotion to entice me to come rent an electric vehicle next time I need alternate transportation. And what do they show me? Cover of this ad saving me up to 10%. His Chevy Bolt. Yeah, I will take the base model Corolla. Thank you very much. I watch a lot of Hulu and they have, there's a lot of Hertz commercials on there. And recently it's been Tom Brady trying to, to get a rental car or whatever. Yes. How easy it is to get a rental car at Hertz. The first ones were of him stepping into a, a Tesla. Yes. You know, at the end of the commercial. But the most recent ones are him getting into a Polestar. I don't know if anybody Ooh. picked up on that. I haven't seen that one yet. Is it all the same leading up to that moment? No, no. So it's the first ones are him. The Tesla ones are like got annoying after a while because he's always like, come on. Yeah, he's doing menial tasks. It's like like he's he's acting like an impatient jerk. Yeah. And then he gets to the rental car place and is like, let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. And he gets to the car and is like. Let's go. Let's go, man. Yeah, yeah. So, so the the one with the pole star, he's actually doing an interview talking about how he always just wants to let's go, but he can't. And then the interviewer is like, "Well, Tom, we've got something for you. Here, you're gonna get to go wherever you want, do whatever you want to do." And they spin some stupid wheel and like, "Where are you going, Tom? You're taking an EV and you're going to X Y Z place." And then they put him in a white pole star. I was like, oh, I'm sure Elon likes this commercial. Meanwhile, Gronkowski is doing commercials with horses. Yo soy fiesta. Exactly. (laughs) My choice in rental car is solely based on price. So if you're going to offer me an EV at the same price as a compact or maybe a subcompact, then I don't care. Sure. As long as I'm somewhere where there's a charging infrastructure and I'm not like driving into the mountains and the boons where I know there's not going to be. But if I was in a city somewhere that had the infrastructure and you're giving it to me at the same price as an ICE, I don't care. But I'm not going to pay extra. And if you offer me a Chrysler 300 for the same price, I'm going to take that. That used to be my go-to free upgrade. You want a Chrysler 300? We got like six of them. Sure. Whatever. Let me let me upgrade, upgrade. But then again, like, what is the insurance cost at the rental car on these? What if it spontaneously combusts? If you don't own an electric vehicle, is your insurance company? Are you going to be able to just say, "Oh, I want to use my own insurance for this electric vehicle"? How does car? all that work? It's a good question. Well, you know what else is a good question, and it really is rich people things. I don't understand this article. It was written really poorly. <laughs> No flow, disjointed thoughts, zero like reasoning, description. It goes right in line with basically photo needs no caption. I mean, the summary here is Alyssa Milano, who's the boss and many other things. She apparently owned a Volkswagen and she's had quite the journey from her Volkswagen to her Tesla. From Tesla to Volkswagen. There was controversy when she made the switch because Volkswagen was in fact founded by Hitler. 
but and that's what I don't understand. None of this flows because it was like there's this controversy because Volkswagen was founded by Hitler, but then she criticized the car manufacturer, which now suddenly we're not talking about Volkswagen, we're talking about criticizing Tesla. And then Volkswagen threatened to sue her, and then Tesla's gonna sue her. And I'm like, what are we even talking about? First of all, is this the ID Volkswagen or is it like a fucking Atlas or is it a Mark IV? Like, I don't even know what Volkswagen. <laughs> She has that caught on fire. Now, if you keep reading, if it was an EV, it's not some, oh my God, another EV like spontaneously combusted. I guess what they found out, maybe, I don't even know. Are there facts that have been checked here? Is there legitimate sources? I can't tell. But apparently someone left a bucket of diesel and lit that shit underneath her car and arson is why her Volkswagen is so messed up. And apparently they wrote, F you, Elon hater. Did she piss somebody off with whatever her comments against Tesla were? I don't know. Is any of this true? Who cares? Oh my God. This is all bullshit. It has to be. Three individuals wearing red hats Did you like were that seen part? running away from the scene. Did you like Fleeing that? in a pickup truck with fake nuts. Right? This must have been written by ChatGPT. <laughs> nothing makes sense i'm like i tried to scroll up is there a date on this like was this april fools this is some i'm trying there. to see the name of the publication but i can't because of all the fucking advertisements i don't even what, know if what this the is fucking like a what site is this what bullshit Zilla? is this what is this like i don't even this understand is... this was like added malware on my computer probably by opening this link <laughs> this is the best <laughs> what the f- whoever this in the, the person chaudry bader badar chaudry badar he's a small business owner and blogger <laughs> just run your antivirus after you open that link. online tabloid is what it is oh, it's terrible well if that wasn't bad enough we still have to go south and talk about alligators and beer Florida man. So this Florida People article is just stupidity at its absolute finest and could happen anywhere. And it's worth watching this video because this was so avoidable. And then the poor person whose Tesla was catching all of this with the cameras that were recording was innocent. <laughs> and the video is taken from this poor Tesla's vantage point. So dumb on so many levels, inability to zipper merge, impatience, not paying attention, distracted driving, raging to rear end two cars. And not like you rear end one that rear ends the other. No, you like simultaneously managed to rear end two cars at once. (laughs) And it's almost like the second Tesla that's doing the rear ending was like accelerating through it. Like I don't think the person ever hit the brakes. That's Tesla on Tesla crime right there. I feel bad for the white Tesla. It did nothing wrong except be present. What a mess. But also, I like the Lexus or whatever it was. I was like, okay, first of all. Try to duck out of the way. 
if you're gonna swerve off the shoulder just to avoid rear end, like get the hell onto the shoulder, not like stay like a quarter on in lane because you wouldn't have gotten rear ended and she would have plowed straight into the other Tesla. How much does this crash cost? That's a hundred thousand dollars of damage done right there. Those are totaled probably. Hundred percent. I mean, the white one's probably totaled. Well, the red one too. With the front end collision, the airbags went off for sure. Yeah, they're both of them. The red one too, probably. The frunk popped open. Whoever that was, a lot of clothes in that front. <laughs> yeah, I noticed. I know. Like she, she was living in her car. She couldn't afford a house anymore. She's living in her car. <laughs> but anyway, not really funny. More public service announcement, but it did happen in Florida. Now, this next one also really isn't that funny, but in Colorado. <laughs> the title of this is the gall insane. of some people. I don't even know if that's the right thing to say, but. Don't drink and drive. Always that public service announcement. Please don't drive under the influence of any type of substance. Suspected DUI driver leaps from car. Implies the dog was driving. (laughs) Fido is the one responsible for the car accident. Can you imagine? I'm supposed to be here. (laughs) The dog ate his homework and drove him to school. I mean, shit. You know. And he ran. He fled. And guess how far he got? Not very far. 20 yards. <laughs> <laughs> he made it two first downs and then was caught. He sucks. This guy cannot run for shit. He, we, I wonder if it was a straight line he was running in. In fairness, he didn't have a collision, but he was driving enough under the influence. The dog was over. responsible. No, I'm sorry. The dog that he allowed <laughs> to drive the car. Was not well equipped. Just like cats, no opposable thumbs. Did the dog have his learner's permit? <laughs> you know, you should have your dog taken away from you. I mean, that's protecting yeah. the dog at that point. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody in PETA who's like, this man endangered the dog. 100%. Dogs are not supposed to operate heavy machinery of any kind. <laughs> wow. I'm going to venture a guess that a dispensary was involved at some point. It's time we go behind the pit wall and talk about motorsports news. This first one confuses me, guys. What the hell happened in Azerbaijan? <laughs> An astute observer would notice that on the podium, there is a Netherlands flag under which Charles Leclerc is standing. And Max Verstappen is standing on the third place podium with the name Charles Leclerc under him, underneath the Monaco flag. That is not correct. <laughs> So somehow the two of them stood on each other's podium. So it's just a little bit amusing. That's all. Did you also notice that it says Ferrari under all of them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they all drive Ferrari. It's a complete win for Ferrari. I mean, this whole thing is messed up. Wow. Good job. Good job. That's what you pay that Formula One subscription for, right? The podiums and stuff like the words on them could just be sponsored through that. Because there's like four podiums there, right? And they all say Ferrari. So it's not like there was a fourth place person. Brad Pitt. We've talked about him before. He's doing that Formula One movie. He's working with Lewis Hamilton to bring that to the table. I don't know what's going to be more realistic. That or that Gran Turismo movie we were talking about earlier. But they say they're going to put Brad Pitt behind the wheel of a Formula One car. Yes. He's directing this movie or whatever. I think also like this is his brain child hamilton's involved in at least a consulting capacity for now tbd i guess if he gets some sort of role maybe driving another car or something it's a little bit of clickbait because it's like brad pitt to drive a formula one car and it's like not really because like yeah that's right brad pitt driving an f1 car from silverstone onwards he won't be on the 
bracing against any other people on track and the race car he's driving will really be a modified junior F2 or F3 car. Mm. <laughs> so I'm like, you're not really driving a Formula One car then. He's driving a Formula car. Yes, but not a Formula One car. This whole movie is just a pet project for Brad Pitt to be able to drive a Formula car. Which I'm sure he could do without doing this movie. Maybe. I mean, Richard Hammond did it and didn't wreck. So, you know, hey, whatever. That's true. Which is the moral and the point here. Don't forget, he who does his own stunts does his own crashes too. We'll see how that plays out. Speaking of seeing how things play out, Northern Italy is in a bit of chaos, which forced the Imola, formerly known as the San Marino Grand Prix, to be canceled and or postponed. That's not what it was called. Isn't it some like 15 word name? It is now. It was San Marino. We, we had this argument once They before. call it by the region now. So it's the La Emilia Romagna Grand Prix. There was something like the first state something or other whatever i, I don't know there it was a whole bunch of names and there were a ton of memes about the name being exceptionally long spaghetti linguini fettuccine z <laughs> it's tbd what happens because on the yeah. formula one site it's listed as postponed in the schedule and not canceled so maybe they... they're probably gonna try and force it in somewhere i think somewhere down the line there was still a canceled race right like they were supposed to be somewhere yeah. where they're not going anymore so maybe on one of those kind of open weekends, they can reslot it in. I guess TBD. It'd be nice to see them race there, but obviously, if they can't, they can't. This weekend is Monaco, so that will be interesting because whoever basically is on pole there is going to win the race. So it won't be that exciting. Where you qualify is where you finish. That's Monaco, pretty much. So it'll be a train, and maybe like one person will get to pass somebody, but that'll be about it. And Miami was two weekends ago, and that was really a snooze fest. Yeah, Miami was boring with fake water. It's good stuff. Not even that. It's just the difference in the Red Bulls is just outrageous. He passed the Ferrari and the Haas, which is also a Ferrari. He was behind them. He came out from behind them when the DRS enabled, and it was like they were fucking parked. How many places did he make up? He made up like 10 places, right? Or something like that? No, that was Azerbaijan, wasn't it? I thought it was Miami because he didn't finish Q2. They didn't send him out in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He didn't get a lap in Q2. So it was basically Sergio's race to lose. Yeah. And then he lost. (laughs) Again, the Red Bulls were out ahead. You saw like they were posting like the speeds, the Red Bull, and then like the speeds of the Ferrari. And it was like 10, 15 miles an hour fat. Like, what the hell? What? You're a good 10 miles an hour faster? There's no way. There's no way. How is anybody like, I mean, everybody else needs to get their act together. Again, you guys are not convincing me to watch Formula One. You were all psyched. You got to watch it. You got to do it. It just sounds like bullcrap. No, I think what Brad's been saying is you should watch Drive to Survive. Nope, not not going to happen. Watch not going to happen. Not going to happen. I have a confession to make. Uh-oh. You know, is this a safe space? Can I, I, so. can, I can I speak? <laughs> I did not finish the last season of Drive to Survive. Oh, oh, the pot has blackened. <laughs> Soon it will be the kettle. And I feel like I don't need to see it because... You just watched the season. I watched the season. 
did watch the last season, but I didn't watch the season before it because I'm like, I don't need to watch this. I literally just watched the season. Why do I care? I used to be all hot and bothered about seeing the stuff going on behind the scenes, and I thought it was really cool. And now I'm just like, I watched it unfold. I don't like Red Bull. Red Bull's okay. I don't. No, like you like Verstappen. rich energy. We already know that. I don't like Verstappen. I think he's a tool bag. It was one thing when Lewis Hamilton was winning, but I thought he was the decent enough human being. But I don't like Verstappen at all. Well, there's also rumor now that Hamilton might be going to Ferrari. I'm like, what? I did see that. I, I I heard. We'll have to see what happens. I can't see that happening. Is Ferrari that desperate? What? And I thought that was like a thing with Hamilton. He didn't want to be associated with Ferrari because he didn't want to be Schumacher's replacement. The optics on that look for him. If he... He's already broken Schumacher's he already broke records. It. He's well ahead. He's, he's yeah. surpassed Schumacher. I think now, now is the time to do it. May, that may have been true yeah, before, before did but it. now he is his own legend. He's not under anybody else's shadow. I don't know. Maybe I'll feel differently in 10 or 20 years. When Formula One merges with Formula E? It was different growing up with Formula One and the characters and the people. Like right now, I, I have a hard time identifying with anybody or really getting engaged with any of the drivers. And that's kind of kept me away. And I guess that's the same when we talk about rally, right? For you, Brad, as you're kind of learning the system over there. So, you know, we're on two ends of that spectrum. But as we wrap out Formula One news, Tanya, you got a first kind of digital look at the track for Vegas, which is coming up in november right mm-hmm. what do you think it looks like long beach i fell asleep on the straightaways and i i woke back up and it was like oh there's caesar's palace what um it literally looks like long beach the straight is so ridiculously long red bull is just going to be lapping everybody i think because they're so much faster straight line that it's going to be Boring. Yeah. And Brad, you're right. Kind of does lay out a little bit like Long Beach in a way. And having been to Vegas many times, Tanya, you've been there as well. The strip is pretty long. There's not a lot of places to kind of turn off. So if they're going to build any sort of straightaway, they're going to have to use more of the Vegas strip. And that's your point. The, the, it's a long straightaway. It's boring. And they're going to do that twice, right? So you're like, ah, okay. It's not the same configuration as the old vegas grand prix which did use some of the city streets we're going to actually talk and cover that more throughout the year there's some episodes coming that talk about the history of formula one in las vegas and stuff like that so look forward to that if you tune into the show every week i'm glad there's another race coming but you know honestly i'd like to see formula one cars back at the Glen or something like that or you know somewhere else in the states eric's glad another race is coming but he doesn't watch and he's not going to watch <laughs> And he's not going to go either. Can any of you afford to go? Nobody's going to be able to go to that race. If you haven't booked tickets three years ago, it ain't happening. True, true. Yeah, same with Miami. Once those were put on the books, it's impossible for us normal human beings to go. Where are you going to go? Like, what's the point of going to somewhere like Vegas? Where are you going to watch the race from? The tallest building you can find. Are you going to walk down the sidewalk of the strip to get to another turn? No. (laughs) You go to pay for that, what, million-dollar VIP package? Yeah, you try to get some some penthouse room in the MGM or whatever, the hotel, Mm -hmm. so that you can just see over everything. Yeah, good luck. Brad Pitt will be in that room. Yeah, when we do the Vegas recap, we'll put that under rich people doing rich people things. (laughs) 100% on that one. Well, we'll switch quickly to WRC News. Brad, did you watch anything since the last time we got together? You know, I haven't had a chance to. My family's been sick for the last three weeks, and I've just been trying to survive. No worries. Well, I will pick up where we left off, if you don't mind, a quick recap of Croatia and Portugal. As we reported last month, unfortunately, Craig Breen was 
killed during an accident before the Croatia rally in testing for the Croatia rally. I will say Croatia watching it was quite sad. It was very somber. Red Bull did an okay job of sort of covering. I expected more of a tribute to Craig, some of his past exploits, some of the cars he used to drive, teams he drove for. They didn't really go into all that. It was really like, what is everybody else doing to honor him? You know, maybe that was at the behest of the family, you know, stuff like that. I don't know. I thought it was cool that Hyundai threw a livery on all the cars. It was an Irish flag in honor of Craig. I thought the cars looked fantastic. I think they should kind of play into that maybe a little bit more. Or one of the drivers, the gentleman that replaced him, Danny Sordo, is going to be running an Irish helmet all year. And then he's giving it to Craig's family at the end of the year, which is pretty cool. It's a spectacular looking helmet. It matches the car's liveries and stuff like that. So as you move away from that, you could tell all the drivers were pretty bummed out. The whole just attitude of the race was just blech. Watching it, I was just like, blech. like this is depressing. People were definitely not at their prime or at their peak. Croatia is generally really intense, really high paced, very narrow. It's fast. It's exciting. This one just was not there. On Friday, both the Toyotas suffered punctures in the same pothole, driving the exact same line. I'm like, in your guys' notes, you should have noted not to put the car there, and that took them out on Friday. That was a that was a pain in the butt. On Saturday, Terry Neuville wrecked his Hyundai. <laughs> I mean, he slid out, hit the back of the car on a tree, and it snapped the car around and crushed the front end. And it was so fast, and it was so violent. And you're just like, wow, okay, that was cute. It was on a very narrow section of track where he really had no choice. It was like hit the tree or go off the cliff, and that was that. There was an interesting battle between Ravan Para and Ogier, the two leading Toyotas. They did lead going into Sunday, but Elvin Evans was pretty much at the top of the race. It was his rally to lose. He's been in that position many times before, but then something catastrophically goes wrong. And then there goes his win for the overall of the rally. I will say congratulations to Takamoto. He didn't wreck. So another Toyota came home in one piece. That was pretty cool. Uh, the end result was Elvin Evans, Oit Tannic, and Esapekalapi, one, two, three. Terry Neuville, they were able to get his car back together enough that he scored an extra five bonus points in the power stage, which is the last stage of the event. Good for him. That at least keeps him in contention, gives him some points since he didn't do that well overall. I will say Citroën came to the table to play in Croatia. They beat out the leading Skoda in the WRC2 class. There wasn't a ton of coverage on that, but it was actually quite exciting. Those guys were going full send in those Citroëns and those Skodas. And if you watch some of the action, I mean, they were just destroying those cars coming off of jumps and stuff because they were just pushing really, really hard. And like I said, overall, the whole of Croatia was meh. It led into Portugal, not even two weeks later. And the big draw in Portugal is what they call the FAF stage, the F-A-F-E. It's stage 16. It's the one with the jump. The one everybody recognizes, they show it in all the rally videos. You get massive airtime, a couple stories off the ground, flying at full speed. One of the most famous stages in all of rally. Unfortunately, Evans wasn't able to capitalize on his win from Croatia. He wrecked the car so bad in Portugal, it also caught on fire. So he was out starting on Friday, and that was the end of his weekend. Terry Neuville could not catch a break. I chuckled so many times, <laughs> something wrong with the gearbox. The car was stuck in third gear. And then he, they took him out for a while. They tried to fix the car. They got that fixed and he had zero power. His turbo failed. 
the hybrid failed. And I'm sitting here going, why bother? He was going out and literally doing stages at like 30 miles an hour just so he could get points <laughs> for the championship. Didn't he have turbo issues in Mexico? Yeah, he had issues. He's had issues with the car constantly. He keeps complaining about it. And, I, and, and at first I was like, stop whining. You know, you're getting old. You're getting beat by the young guys. But he's legitimately having problems. The car is falling apart around him. But it was just pathetic. And during the super stage at the end, they put him out first. And you're just watching everybody else. And they're like, this is going to take forever. Because it's like 40 kilometers. (laughs) He can only do like 30 miles an hour. It's going to take him an hour to get to the end. And it's like they sent him out first thing in the morning and said, all right, Terry, just make it to the end. He brought the car home. But it's just laughable. It was comical and and absolutely ridiculous. Oit Tannic suffered problems with the Puma. He had hybrid issues where he was also down on power, not in the same way that Terry Neuville was. The end result of the race was Rovan Para, Danny Sordo, and Essa Pekalapi. So Essa Pekalapi taking home two third place podiums in a row, Croatia and Portugal. Skoda was back on top in WRC2. And then I found a parallel between Rally and Formula One. There's this kid, Pierre-Louis Loubet. I don't know if you paid attention to him or not, Brad. He is the DeVry of rally he shows up when he wants his dad pays for him to drive he wrecks a car he doesn't care he goes home and they focused a lot on him for some reason in portugal because apparently i guess maybe that's his favorite or or whatever it was just laughable right now robin para who is ogier's teammate at toyota he leads the overall championship going into the italian rally at sardinia and even though ogier kind of plays when he wants to he's still in the top three right now in terms of points and everything so really interesting to see if seb takes it to the end and ends up winning despite not putting in all the races kind of goes to show how the points work in rally Moving right along into sports car and endurance racing, I don't have anything to report right now, but I will be reporting some in the coming weeks. So pay attention to social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc., because I will be at the 100th anniversary of Le Mans. So I will be reporting from France, which also means we won't be having a drive through next month because going on vacation, we're all taking a break. We need one after three years and 200 and some odd episodes. So look forward to the next drive through in July, but there will be updates from Le Mans. We will be talking all about Le Mans and I'm hoping Brad and Tanya catch the race from home or wherever they're going to be. And we're going to talk about it a lot more, but it's going to be exciting. 16 cars in LMP1 or GTP, Porsche, Peugeot, Ferrari, Cadillac, and so on down the lines seeing if they can take on the mighty toyota so looking forward to being there in person to see that it's a kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity in some respects i just want to remind everybody that our motorsports news is brought to us in partnership with the international motor racing research center in watkins Glen. just so you guys know there are more episodes that we've done in partnership with the imrc and the society of automotive historians coming your way each month on break fix so stay tuned and as a reminder you could enter to win a 2024 Corvette E-Ray through the IMRRC's sweepstakes. There is a promo code E-Ray launch that you can use, and you can find more details on racingarchives.org on how you can enter to win this 2024 Corvette E-Ray 3LZ convertible. All the proceeds go to the research center and keeping it going. If you don't want the Corvette, there is a cash option and they run promotions throughout the year. Buy more, get more, those kinds of things, two for one ticket opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. 
Sierra. And really quick, they have a couple of events. As we mentioned, they are focusing this year on the Corvette, celebrating its 70th anniversary alongside of the 75th anniversary of Watkins Glen, the 100th anniversary of Le Mans, and the 25th anniversary of the center itself. There's an upcoming center conversation called the American Sports Car, an inside look at Corvette racing. And that's going to be on June 24th from 5 to 7 p.m. It's a fascinating behind the scenes look at Corvette racing by Richard Prince, the official photographer for Corvette racing team over the last 27 years and author of the book Corvette 70 years the one and only if you're in town for the sale in six hours at the Glen don't miss the opportunity to listen to this presentation while you're there in town on September 30th the IMRRC is going to have their 25th anniversary party and more details on that to come. So stay tuned to their website. GTM, along with many others, will be live streaming and in attendance at the annual Michael R. Artzinger Symposium on International Motor Racing History. That's on November the 3rd and 4th at Watkins Glen International. The symposium provides an opportunity for scholars, researchers, and motor racing writers of all descriptions to present their work related to the history of automotive competition and the cultural impact of motor racing to their peers and the motor racing community in general. We were there last year. We live streamed the whole event. There's other episodes coming as a result of that. And it was a fantastic and fascinating event to be a part of. And we're really looking forward to being there. So if you're interested in meeting any of us from GTM, feel free to come on down. And if you can't make it, be sure to tune in to our Twitch feed. And we'll be telling you more about that as we get closer to the event. Upcoming local news and events brought to us by CollectorCarGuide.net, the ultimate reference for car enthusiasts. For June and July, mostly June, we've got a couple of events that we want to highlight. June 3rd, the Mopar Show is going on at the Volo Museum in Volo, Illinois. June 10th, Radwood is coming to Philly at Subaru Park in Chester, PA. June 10th and 11th, the 7th Annual Chesapeake Bay Motoring Festival at Kent Island Yacht Club in Kent Narrows, Maryland. June 17th, Thunder on the River in downtown Columbia, PA. This one really got me. June 17th, the McSherry's Town Fishing Game Pig Roast Car and Truck Show. Unfortunately, it didn't give any details about where it is. Is that before or after the nudist car show that you're going to? I think this is before the nudist car show. But if you want to go to this on collectorcarguide.net, there is a phone number to call. I believe the guy's name is Gary and tickets are $30. On June 23rd through 25th, Invading the Dragon at Tale of the Dragon. We're BMW enthusiasts uh, taking their M cars to Tale of the Dragon in Maryville, Tennessee. And it's great you brought that up because that's being brought to us by one of our other sponsors, which is ESE Carbon Wheels. So I want a big shout out to Mike Pipitone for letting us know about the Invading the Dragon event, along with other Tale of the Dragon events listed over at Collector Car Guide. On June 24th, the Rocking Chair Nats Car and Truck Show at Mason-Dixon Dragway in Boonesboro, Maryland. And tons more events like these and all their details are available over at CollectorCarGuide.net. That's right, Brad. And now it's time for our HPDJunkie.com trackside report. So what's coming out here as we're going on vacation? Well, the Northeast Quattro Club is going to be at Palmer Motorsports Park on June the 15th and 16th. They're also making their annual run to Mont-Tremblant in Quebec, Canada for a couple days of road tripping and some HPDE fun on July 15th and 16th. The Audi Club is also holding an HPD event at Watkins Glen on July 31st through August the 1st. I'm actually looking forward to potentially going to that event. So more details on that to follow. 
Our friends at the Washington, D.C. region of SCCA will be holding their sixth combined HPDE and time trial on June the 24th and 25th at Dominion Raceway. By the way, that's the same weekend as the sale in six hours for anybody that was trying to make a decision on what they wanted to do that weekend. Meanwhile, if you can't make that, WDCR will return to Summit Point for the Shenandoah Circuit time trial in HPDE on July the 15th and 16th. That's the seventh event of the season so far with, a, I believe, a total of 10 or 11 for this year. WDCR will also be holding their Level 2 Autocross School on June the 25th at Summit Point Motorsports Park. EMRA, the Eastern Motor Racing Association, will be holding their third event of the season at Pocono on June the 25th and 26th weekend. National Corvette Museum has their fourth HBD on July the 21st at National Corvette Museum Motorsports Park. And there are details out there on how you can drive at Spa, yes, that's Spa in Belgium, over the 4th of July weekend with our friends at Hooked on Driving. And since we mentioned Hooked on Driving, that reminds me, as a thank you to everyone for being loyal listeners and supporters of Grand Touring Motorsports and fans of Break Fix Podcast, Mike and Mona from Hooked on Driving are offering a discount all season on HBD events on their schedule. You use code BREAKFIX23, all one word, BREAKFIX23, to receive a discount on your event registration at checkout. So thank you for being loyal supporters of all our efforts and tune in throughout the year for more promotions. In case you missed out, check out the other podcast episodes that aired this month. Practice makes perfect, which is why you need to maximize your track time with Charlie Stryker over at Max Track Time, the perfect blend of testing and track weekend. Jim Cruz from Classic Auto Insurance takes us through why we should look past regular vehicle insurance for our beloved classic collector and race cars. Colleen Sheehan recounts 52 years of Ferraris Online, now known as the Prancing Skunk, as she takes the helm and sets sail for another 50 years in the collector car world. We celebrated Indy 500 month with two IMRRC and SAH episodes, Second to One by Joe Freeman and Harry Miller and His Machines by Gordon Elliott White, both pertaining to the early days and developments of racing at Indianapolis. And finally, we celebrated our 200th episode with the legendary Mario Andretti. Tune in to episode 200 for awesome insight into his amazing career and find some great behind the scenes and outtakes available on our new YouTube channel at Grand Touring Motorsports Media, as well as more extras over on our Patreon. And since we'll be on break in June, fixing to get back into more drive through antics in July, here's a sneak peek into next month's we chat with Rob Morgan from MPG Racing, home of the GT Celebration Series. Bob Gerritsen stops by to tell us about the genesis of the famous Apple Porsche 935. Cat DeLorean returns with Tony Vallunga to talk about what it's like to bend stainless steel into pieces that resemble a vehicle. Jeff Willis tells us about his new book, Human in the Machine, and hear from John Summers about how social and modern media have changed racing. And finally, Kevin McDonald from Positive Talk Radio chats with Crew Chief Eric about some of the lesser known parts of the GTM origin story. Thanks again to everyone that came on the show. We'll see you in July. Thanks, Tanya. We do have some new Patreons for May. Big shout out to our new Patreon supporter and GTMer, as well as Northeast Region Co-Chief Marissa Cannon. She signed up to support us on Patreon. Celebrating some anniversaries, we have Northeast Co-Region Chief Shane Cease celebrating nine years, along with Ethan Pinkert, who's out in Colorado now, but originally from our DMV region. We get together with him at Rolex. We've, we've done that a couple times. And we hope to see him next year at Pikes Peak. 
and Matt Small celebrating four years with GTM. And if you'd like to become a member of GTM, be sure to check out the new Clubhouse website at club.gtmotorsports.org. We didn't have any special guests. I'm sorry, Mark Hewitt, we ran out of time. And of course, our co-host and executive producer, Tanya. And remember, for everything we talked about on this episode and more, be sure to check out the follow-on article and show notes available over at gtmotorsports.org. I'd also like to add that all of our episodes starting for a while now have transcription and closed captioning available as well. And to all the members who support GTM, without you, none of this would be possible. I guess it's not outro this month. It's au revoir. Honey, did you know Eric was going to France? Off to France. Bon voyage! (laughs) Are you ready for me to start? Yeah! I didn't read the article, of course, because why would I do that? This is is excellent. See, I was thinking of the U2 song, um, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. (laughs) Well, that is the theme this month, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You were lost and now you're found, do da do da. <laughs> you were lost and now you're found. Oh, the do da day. That was creepy. <laughs> <laughs> 1988 Porsche 911 Carrera Coupe G50, sixty-five thousand dollars. It's like that old TV show. What's the sixty-four thousand dollar question? Yeah. What's for sale and bring a trailer? I didn't read the article. Sorry. You know, surprise, surprise. I thought you were going to talk about Ron Burgundy. <laughs> Keep it classy. Because I've lost my mind. Cars in back of us, all just waiting to order. There's some idiot in a Volvo with his bright sun behind me. I lean out the window and scream, Hey, what you trying to do? Blind me. My wife says maybe we should call. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash gtmotorsports. And remember... Without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.